welcome to Impact AI, brought to you by Pixel Science Yale Labs. I'm your host, Heather Couture. On this podcast, I interview innovators and entrepreneurs about building a mission-driven, machine-learning-powered company. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to my newsletter to be notified about new episodes. Plus, follow the latest research in computer vision for people in planetary health. You can sign up at pixelscientia.com newsletter. Today, I'm joined by guest Victor Hansen-Smith, Head of Computational Biology at Verge Genomics, to talk about drug discovery. Victor, welcome to the show. Hi, Heather. Thanks for having me on. Victor, could you share a bit about your background and how that led you to Verge Genomics? Sure. So I'm currently the head of computational biology at venture-backed drug discovery and development company named Verge Genomics. And the path that led me here is that I'm trained as a computer scientist. My PhD is in computer science. And prior to Verge, I spent most of my career embedded in molecular and cell biology groups. I was working with teams to combine computer science with molecular biology in order to unlock a deeper understanding of how genomes are accidentally architected by evolution. And this was such a rewarding set of work for me. It was really on the vanguard of human knowledge. But during this time, I also had an appetite to connect this knowledge and these discoveries with something more translational. And Heather, I know I just met you, but I'll tell you something sort of personal, which was during that time studying genome evolution, I was also experiencing firsthand my father's journey through Parkinson's disease. So I'll just take a breath to recognize that that experience was wrapped in heartbreak and grief, and it was very personal to me. But that experience also ignited inside of me a curiosity about this wide class of human disease that lacks effective treatment. And in a moment of revelation during that time, I realized that all of the tools and skills I had acquired studying genome architecture could be leveraged to study genome D architecture or in other words, how genomes break down in order to cause disease. And so I was hungry to move into this field of drug discovery, specifically for neurodegeneration. And this is where something unexpected happened. Verge Genomics had just been founded, forged in the fire of Y Combinator. And Alice Zhang, the founder and CEO, one of the founders of and CEO of Verge, reached out to me to join the team as one of the first full-time computational biologists. And that was just really a tremendous moment in my life where it was kind of like the universe handing me exactly what I wanted in that moment, and I was ready to take the leap. So I'd like to say that at that time, Verge really was just a couple Macs and a folding table. And I got to work from day one architecting our discovery platform, which we'll talk about more today. And seven years later, seven and a half years later, we've grown from just a few laptops and a folding table to now a full-fledged company with a portfolio of chemistry IP. We have a team of chemists in China. We have thousands of mice running around our lab. We have a stem cell lab. We have clinical stage assets that are currently in clinical trial right now. So it's been a tremendous just journey building the company from those early days to where we are now. So what all does Verge do today? And, and why is this important in developing new drugs? Yeah, so we like to say that Verge Genomics is a full-stack drug discovery and development company. And so over the past seven years, we've built a platform named Converge, and this drives new drugs from early discovery all the way to the clinic. 
And we've been able to deliver that three times faster and two times cheaper than our competitors. This is important because as many people listening to this podcast are aware, developing drugs is currently expensive. Bringing a new drug to market can cost half a billion to billions, plural, of US dollars. But if you just take a step back from Verge for a moment and paint a picture of where we are in history, I like to think that the biopharma industry is on the precipice of this phase transition. Like if we had been previously sailing maybe a wooden sailboat across the ocean, we're about to move into like a rocket ship. And I think what's driving that phase transition is this revolution in systems biology that's occurred over the last three decades. That revolution has not fully translated to the biopharma industry, or it's just it's about to fully translate. So new technologies related to sequencing DNA, RNA, epigenome, measuring protein abundance, advances in stem cell technology, advances in drug protein biophysics, and dozens of other things this technology often referred to as systems biology. When we put all of this together, it's enabling us to measure molecular mechanisms and molecular deficits in human cells in ways that wasn't possible 10 years ago. And I think this area of systems biology maybe has grown more in the past 20 years than any domain of human knowledge ever in history. I don't know if that's true, but it kind of I'm curious if it is, and it's kind of a provocative claim. So this revolution in systems biology has the potential for new treatments for countless human diseases, and has the potential to make drug discovery cheaper and faster. Long-term, it might even transform our fundamental relationship with the concept of disease. But that translation hasn't fully happened. And it's because right now, drug discovery is locked behind this billion-dollar cost it takes to get a drug to market. So Verge Genomics has been addressing this problem. We're building a new kind of drug discovery organization that can deliver new drugs faster and cheaper. And what role does machine learning play in this technology? Yeah, so machine learning is fundamental and central to our approach. So as a startup company, we've been focused on the problem of genetically complex diseases. And these are diseases where there's a dozen or or more genetic factors associated with, with that disease, but no effective treatment. And so our discovery platform, which is named Converge, uses machine learning across the entire process from early discovery all the way to clinic. So at the early discovery phase, we're using machine learning to find new gene targets, therapeutic targets that have increased probability of actually working. At the preclinical stage, we're using machine learning to select preclinical models that have the best possible match to the kind of molecular deficits we observe in actual real human tissue. And so this increases our probability of success with preclinical validation. And then at the clinical stage, we're using machine learning to enrich our patient enrollment strategy. So we're using intelligence there to get the best insights into what kinds of patients or patient subpopulations will respond to our drug so that we have increased probability of success with those clinical endpoints. And what types of data do you work with in in developing these different types of models? Yeah, one of the key differentiators for Verge is that we base our discoveries in human data. And I know that actually might sound like absurdly reductionist to say that we base our discoveries in human data. But the reason I, I say that is because one of the most common ways historically to initiate a drug discovery program has been to use non-human systems, primarily rodent models, 
but also human cell lines that are divorced from whole body human biology. These approaches have been useful historically to launch lots of drugs that are on market, things you might even be you know, taking in your daily lives today. But when we turn our attention to these genetically complex diseases, ALS, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, these approaches, these non-human and or cell reductionist models, they haven't produced the outcomes we want. They have led to diminished innovation in terms of actual drug development. And so at Verge, we often say to succeed in humans, we start in humans. And so we go direct to the source, which is to say we spend a lot of energy and resources in collecting human tissue from disease lesions of interest. And then with that tissue, we do genomics, transcriptomics, proteomics, lots of omics. And this allows us to reveal new druggable disease mechanisms from that tissue. I like to say that we're sort of reverse engineering disease from the primary tissue. At the earliest upstream discovery phase of just figuring out what we want to actually target with a drug, this is really my area of focus. We build a data structure called the Human Data Atlas, and we have been building this, and it's an ever-growing data structure. This is a database representation of everything we know about genome architecture, which genes interact with other genes, which genes regulate other genes, what proteins interact with each other. We can then bring to that atlas specific tissue from a disease of interest like ALS or Parkinson's. And then we can search that human atlas for what we call disease signatures. These are a set of genes whose activity is dysregulated together. And this thing becomes a foundation for us to, to launch our drug discovery program. We are looking for drugs or genes that can reverse that disease signature back to healthy levels. So just to bring things full circle and answer your question, we're working with lots of human data, lots of omics layers of data paired with, with clinical metadata, and then we're turning that into a search problem to find new ways to treat complex diseases. So the models that you train, they're, they're set up you know, to, be, to be able to search as opposed to maybe a supervised model or some other type of machine learning model? It's a combination of both, and I think it's useful to think about the data in terms of disease-agnostic data and then disease-specific data. So the disease-agnostic data is this atlas of human biology that is largely unsupervised, and that's where the searching is happening. The supervised ML is happening with the disease-specific data, where we're building specific disease signatures and networks of genes that are dysregulated in the disease state. I'm not sure if that answers your, your question. It does. And in working with these different types of humanomics data, what kind of challenges do you encounter, especially as you go to train machine learning models with them? I imagine anyone listening to this who's worked with any sort of omics data can appreciate the amount of noise that can be present in those data sets. And so we believe that no single data set or single piece of data is sufficient for the sorts of rigorous drug discovery we're interested in. Rather, our platform combines lots of different data types and layers, and we're looking for signals that are consistent across those layers. So there's a few specific challenges I want to highlight. The first is just getting access to tissue. So I'll use Parkinson's as an example. When we initiated our Parkinson's discovery program, we went to NCBI uh, Geo and the EMBL's Array Express. These are public repositories where there's a lot of various omics data from Substantia Niger, which is one of the regions where Parkinson's manifests most, most obviously. Our team in incorporated all of like literally every single data set we could get from these public repositories. 
And what we essentially identified were these data gaps in the public record. Despite being this wealth of data in the public repository, we determined that most of it wasn't usable for our needs. It was underpowered, poorly annotated, not sufficient controls. So there's this data gap, and that's what I'm I'm leading up to, is when we move into a new discovery space, a new indication space, we start by finding these data gaps. These are a tissue type or a patient population that isn't represented in the public space, but would be key for our discovery. So the first challenge is just identifying that gap. And, and the way to identify that gap is to comprehensively survey the, the public landscape. Once we've identified that data gap, that's where we strategically deploy resources to acquire our own tissue. And so we have a network of brain banks and hospitals around the world we work with who can partner with us to give us access to the tissues that's relevant for what we're studying. The second challenge I want to highlight is identifying signal that's actually true across patient cohorts. And this goes back to that noise problem I mentioned. In our experience, when we look at disease mechanisms in one patient cohort, they're not always reflected in another patient cohort. And so something that's really important to us is identifying signal that actually is preserved and recapitulated across lots of patient cohorts. So all of our discovery work to date, whether it's in ALS, Parkinson's, or other indications, has been based on signals that we can robustly and significantly find recapitulated across lots of different patient populations, which again implies just more, more tissue or processing. But that gives us confidence that the things we're discovering are actually real signal rather than just being an artifact of one investigator or, or one lab. So you mentioned some challenges that really require understanding the data quite deeply. How do your machine learning developers collaborate with domain experts to ensure that they build the most effective models with, with this complex omics data? Yeah, for sure. There's a component here of domain expertise that is required for our platform to work. And so that's that's fundamental. Even though our platform is highly automated, it still requires you come to it with some understanding of the disease you're trying to treat, the tissues that are relevant, and the biology involved. But your question about ML developers collaborating with domain experts, I actually think I want to answer that through the lens of leadership, team building, and maybe even company culture. Many organizations in this space, I think, have teams that are relatively more siloed, whether that's a conscious choice or not. Perhaps you yourself can even think of teams you've interacted with where the computational biology or the data science team is siloed apart from maybe the preclinical team or even the clinical team. These type of silos create conflict, and I don't think they service the science really well. So in addition to all the things I've said so far about our platform and our science and our business model, there's something else special going on at Verge with respect to our approach to leadership. So I like to use this spaceship metaphor. So I like to think of a startup company like ours as like a rocket ship shooting into space. And if there's something structurally not integral about the spaceship, like it's shaking or it's chattering, all that stuff creates drag. And when a spaceship has drag, it just takes more rocket fuel to actually reach orbit. It may not even be able to reach orbit. So when I think about a human organization like a startup company, things like team drama, conflict, or personal politics... These are all the shaking parts of the spaceship that cause drag. And so at Verge, we've invested maybe more than most other companies into building a team culture that reduces that kind of drama and drag. And that's because we want to use every last drop of rocket fuel, metaphorically, to launch as far into space as we can. 
And so a big part of this has to do with how teams interact with each other and the feedback culture we've, we've built. And so this is how ML developers are collaborating with domain experts. It's very hands-on, it's very intimate, and those siloed walls are broken down. Let me just say one more point on this. Our specific approach has been to use this leadership curriculum of the conscious leadership group. One of the key leaders of that organization is Diana Chapman. And it's been a lot of work around accountability, radical candor, mindfulness, and other topics you may have been previously exposed to. In my career, working with dozens of different leadership coaches and programs, this particular conscious leadership group curriculum has been the most impactful, not only in reducing team drama, but in accelerating this cross-team collaboration so that our deepest engineers who lack any biology expertise are intimately paired with you know, the world's best bench scientists who are also in our organization. Yeah, that, that continuous collaboration and, and setting up your team structure. I've heard from others just how essential that is as well. I, I see that with the teams I work with. Yeah. And it's an experiment. You know, I think Verge culturally has been an experiment and we are currently getting external validation from our directors and advisors that we're doing something different and it seems to be paying off. Right now we're a little bit more than 50 employees. I think as we move forward, the experiment is, can we continue to scale this culture to 100, 200, 1,000 people? I don't know. And I'm looking forward to seeing how that works out. I'm optimistic how that will play. How do you go about validating your machine learning models? Is there anything specific to the, the data type or the complexity in, in collecting data that's required here? Sure. So I hope anybody who's in the biopharma space can appreciate the ultimate validation is clinical success. And so by that metric, it's exciting times for us. We have a new drug for ALS. That's our lead program. It was discovered entirely from our platform. It's a novel therapeutic window into ALS. It recently passed phase one. It's now entering phase two. So that's the tip of the spear for us as an organization. So, so far, that is a sort of validation that we're very excited about. But if we reduce the aperture on that question of validation... There are some other metrics and, and indicators that our ML models are validated. At the preclinical stage, we focus a lot on this metric of hit rate. So we have a, a kind of arsenal of preclinical phenotypes that we think are relevant for the diseases we're working in. If we just look at ALS, we're getting you know a hit rate of almost 80% across the targets that are predicted by our platform and their ability to recover those phenotypes. So that preclinical validation is another sort of validation. And that hit rate, that phenotypic hit rate is one of the key metrics. And we can make this aperture even smaller and now step away from all the wet lab biology and all the human parts and actually just focus on data science benchmarks. And something that my team has thought a lot about in the last few years is using retrospective data of all known clinical programs in the US. And so we've done a lot of work of ingesting data from across lots of very diverse indications, hypertension, breast cancer, psoriasis, you name it, using our discovery platform to predict targets, and then going to look in the public record of, well, what drugs have actually made it to clinic? What drugs have failed for safety reasons? Could we have predicted those outcomes knowing what we know from human tissue? And so that's a set of benchmarks I'm very curious about that we currently track. I think the the narrative coming out of that validation is so far really positive. We're getting a predictive power above industry standards. And then we can make the aperture, the 
smallest possible aperture of validating ML models, which just gets into the mechanics of things like leave one out and five-fold cross-validation and and smote and some of these other like very AI specific methods that maybe I'll just mention their name, but I'll, I'll leave it at that because I don't know if they're as interesting to talk about. AI has been in the headlines a lot lately with generative models, like large language models like ChatGPT and text image models. How do the latest generative AI advancements influence what you're working on or do they, do they influence it? Yeah, I love that question. I think recently we've been asked flavors of this question a lot. So I think generative AI, things like ChatGPT, is good at generating new things where it has lots of data to pattern match. Generative AI is less good, and in some cases terrible, at problems where it has no data to pattern match. An example that comes to my mind is writing a birthday card. If you were to ask ChatGPT or Google Bard or some other generative language model, if you were to ask these systems to write you a birthday card, it will probably do a great job. And that's because there are a lot of birthday cards from which it could train. If you were to ask a generative language model to find a new therapeutic mechanism for a human disease with no effective treatments, it would be less effective at that task. And that's because we just lack positive cases for pattern matching. And so this goes back to a point I made earlier about there being a data gap. There simply is a data gap in what can be trained on to solve that really big, hard problem. It's a solvable problem is what I, I also want to highlight. And I think Verge Genomics is building a bridge across that data gap. We're on the vanguard of building a bridge across that data gap. So all that said, I do see a role today for generative AI in some spaces in the biopharma industry. And I think its current value is being most realized in the protein biophysics kind of molecular docking space. A prerequisite of that problem is having a gene target in mind. But once you have a particular protein you want a drug, that's where a lot of AI, I think, is unlocking some novelty. One of the biggest problems that we're solving at Verge is upstream from that, of just finding the right target in the first place. And just kind of to circle back on some things we said a few minutes ago, one of the reasons why this quest for better targets is important. If we just take Alzheimer's as an example, in the past decade, there have been multi-billion dollar failures where teams have developed the most exquisite chemistry with excellent blood-brain penetration, just amazing chemistry work, but it was against the wrong target. It was against a target that ultimately didn't move the needle on disease phenotypes. So this problem of finding the right targets, I think is existential and one of the most upstream problems for the drug discovery industry. And that's a, a problem right now I don't think is crackable by generative AI, but Verge is on the front lines of getting us closer there. Is there any advice you could offer to other leaders of AI-powered startups? When I think about AI-powered startups, I think there are three races currently underway. The first race is the algorithmic race, and this is to build the world's like greatest AI model. The second race is for training data. And so I like to say that if you have really excellent training data, then the sophistication of your AI in some ways is irrelevant. This is the race Verge is running in. I'll, I'll circle back to that in a moment. And the third race is I would call it the problem identification space, looking for these arbitrage opportunities, which, which I'll come back to. But just back to the first race, the algorithmic race, there are organizations right now who are investing the majority of their resources into building very sophisticated AI models. I think that 
is one good strategy, but it requires you have really excellent input data. And not all problem domains are there yet. And so this is why I think for the problem Verge is trying to solve, finding new treatments for complex diseases, the real action is in that training data race. This is the race Verge is running in. I also think it's the most interesting race for this particular industry. So that's why we are strategically investing lots of resources and acquiring proprietary tissue, acquiring better data. And let me just talk a little bit more about that third problem, the, the problem identification race. And this is really advice for startup leaders in general. What I think makes a billion dollar company is when you can use existing algorithms and existing data to answer an unsolved or undermet problem. And so it's this challenge of finding these arbitrage opportunities where there's a question that either we haven't solved yet or that nobody's even asked the question, but there exists some data set you could use to get leverage, to, to take action against that, that question, whether that's drug discovery or any other, other topic. So my advice to AI-powered startups is, are you even operating in a place where you have that, that arbitrage, that ability to connect an under-met question with data availability? And when that exists, it's like lightning striking. And that's where I think some of the most value-creative innovative companies in the last two decades have emerged is when they have their hands on that arbitrage situation. And finally, where do you see the impact of Verge Genomics in three to five years? Well, ambitiously, I think we want to become the next Genentech. I'm sort of smiling saying that, but I think realistically, an achievable goal in the next three to five years would be for us to discover, develop, and shepherd three to four more new drugs into the clinic. Like I mentioned our current program is an ALS. It's about to enter phase two. We have a lot of enthusiasm and excitement about that. And that's been a proof of concept for our platform. It's demonstrated that we can take this all-in-human concept from tissue all the way to clinic. So I think we want to now repeat that process and launch a portfolio of drugs in parallel. Just in terms of impact, when we founded eight years ago, I felt that Verge was relatively singular in this space. And in the past three to four years, there's been an explosion of companies that look like Verge, which is certainly flattering. And so this all-in-human approach, I think, is starting to get more traction in industry. And people are recognizing just the, the value it brings to the process and also it can reduce costs. And so one impact of Verge genomics maybe just the way in which drugs are discovered will look fundamentally different in 10 years than they do today. And I would like to think that the work we're doing is playing a part in changing that landscape. This has been great. Victor, your team at Verge is doing some really interesting work for neurodegenerative diseases. I expect that the insights you share will be valuable to other AI companies. Where can people find out more about you online? You can go to vergegenomics.com and we have press releases and you can read about our leadership team. And we have multiple open positions if you're curious to join our team. One of the best pieces of startup advice I ever got was always be hiring. So we're always looking for people who are aligned and passionate about our mission to come join us. Perfect. Thanks for joining me today. Yeah, of course, Heather. It was my pleasure to talk with you. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. I'm Heather Couture, and I hope you join me again next time for Impact AI. Thank you for listening to Impact AI. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and share with a friend. 
And if you'd like to learn more about computer vision applications for people and planetary health, you can sign up for my newsletter at pixelscientia.com newsletter.